There are dozens of things that people do to protect their data from loss, but many of them are worthless when you actually need them. In this episode, we'll learn what turns a copy into a backup so that you can make sure that anything you think is a backup actually is one. We'll also talk about some important backup concepts like multiplexing, incremental backups, block level incremental backups, and source side deduplication. Hi, I'm W. Curtis Preston, AKA Mr. Backup, and I've been specializing in backup and disaster recovery for over 30 years. My podcast turns unappreciated backup admins into cyber recovery heroes. This is the Backup Wrap-Up. Hi, and welcome to the show. I'm going to have with me a guy who I think is super jelly of the new toy that I put in yesterday, Prasanna Maliandi. How's it going, Prasanna? I'm good, Curtis. And yes, I am jealous of your toy, but I will have to start sending you a bill for consulting fees when <laughs> you inevitably, or if you inevitably run into issues. Huh. Yeah, because. As you recall, I didn't I purchase this like without even talking to yep. you, which is rather atypical of me <laughs> because I we talk about so much and and ba- basically what we're talking about is a firewalla which I've had my eye on for a while and then after I realized so I've switched internet service providers and now they're telling me that I'm hitting the bandwidth limit already and which is highly possible given that I do this I realized that I had no bandwidth monitoring tools. I have this really nice mesh router system, wire, the, wire fi- the <laughs> Wi-Fi mesh, but that's put been put in access point mode, which then, of course, offers no bandwidth monitoring. And then I had this Cox router, which offered me nothing. And so I replaced the Cox router with the Firewallet Purple SE. And ah, man super simple to put in there. And now I have these like super stats. So I get these, I'm going to, at some point I'm going to have to disable the notifications because it's like Curtis is playing games on his phone. (laughs) Curtis is watching YouTube videos on MacBook pro a right. It's literally, it's like Curtis has downloaded 3.56 gigabytes of video on his so. And I'm like, okay, this is going to get old pretty quick. I have two questions for you. Yeah. The first question is, did you figure out what was consuming your data cap or data usage cap? Not yet, because it's only it hasn't even been 24 hours. But I do have a pretty good guess, and I think it's right in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. What is weird, and again, I didn't want to talk about this too much, but what is weird is I get these... Some of the notifications, it's MacBook Pro uploaded 3.5 megabytes of data to LinkedIn at 3.45 a.m. And I'm like, what? Like, why is my laptop uploading three and a half megabytes of anything while it's just sitting here and I'm sleeping somewhere? Yeah, that's weird. That's yeah. weird. So my yeah. second so question. So anyway, so I, yeah, go ahead. So, yeah. So since you've decided to get rid of the Cox router, 
can you not just yeah. use your Wi-Fi mesh as a router? I could have, but then I would have to completely redo my network architecture, which, as you recall, was a really big thing. <laughs> That's true. And I actually really like the firewall features yeah. of this. That's, that was what would, what really drew me to it. And I've been thinking about it. And this was that final excuse yeah. to get it. And I'm really enjoying the security okay. aspect. I'm glad. It, so. so there, for people, yeah. if yeah. Mr. Backup can learn networking and firewalls, so can you. <laughs> Yeah, it's certainly not my my forte. But I want to talk, it's time for the news of the week. The big news, I think, of the entire IT world, everybody seems to be talking about it, is this MGM hack. I can't, can you imagine, yeah. if, if you've been living in a hole, they shut down MGM and Caesars and all of the hotels attached to MGM and Caesars, which is like half the strip. And they shut down like card keys, yep. slot machines, ATMs, everything, ATMs. Yep. So for um, so for our listeners who may not know about yeah. this, MGM is a hotel chain, right? They have a bunch of things as well, right? Like various hotels like Caesars and MGM, and they are in Las Vegas and they're casinos, right? right? So you can stay there, you can gamble there, right? They make lots and lots and lots and lots of money. But not in the last week or so. <laughs> yeah. And they got hit by a cyber attack because, on the week of yeah. September 20th or so, I'm guessing. Yeah. And the, the I think the, the saddest part about this, and by the way, uh, as of today, there's been half a dozen lawsuits attached because there's threat of a PII leak, a personal information leak. And so there's been all sorts of worries about that. So there's a half dozen, what do you call it, class action or lawsuits that are attempting to achieve class action status that have been filed. I think the, the, the saddest part here and the way I like, and we'll put the, the link to this particular article in the show description, the heading here, targeting layer eight. I've, I've heard of the seven-layer Network networking stack. model. Again, yes, with I, my extensive networking experience, the OSI model. What is layer eight, Persona? People? It's, it's people. Yes. Yeah, so it's layer people. eight is people, which is probably the weakest part of the entire stack, I'd say. Yeah. You are the weakest link. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what? It, how did they get in? So they basically targeted an employee right who had the right level of access and they basically were able to gain access into their okta environment as a super admin but how did they do that that's the question oh so how did they do that they basically tripped tricked yeah. their it help desk <laughs> that is so bad right they somehow got a access to a privileged account right according to the the powers that be that they stole a password or they hacked um, Active Directory somehow. So they were able to attempt to log in, but they were stopped by MFA, which is a good thing, Okta. Yep. But then they were able to convince the help desk that they were the person in question and get them to reset MFA. Yeah, now, here's a question. Do you think that employee is still there at the company? And this is one of those things where... blaming the person? So I'm going to fast forward like 30 years, okay? So 20, 
what would that be? 2053, there's a guy, he's going to be called Mr. MFA, and he's going to have a podcast dedicated to (laughs) (laughs) security. Because like my career started with a screw up of this, not quite this magnitude, but my career started with this. And so I, my, my personal opinion, I don't know if this person is, has been fired. I think they should only be fired if they didn't follow the processes that had been established and uh, they weren't set out for them. Potentially, yeah. they should be disciplined. I don't know if firing, if if termination is the appropriate. They should be disciplined if they followed the procedures that had been laid out for them. Process, yep. people, right? Then technology. If they had been, we just had a, a podcast about that. If they followed the procedures that had been given to them, then. I think some massive leniency, then you update your procedures, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think of a massive outage that was caused at a major software vendor that I worked with. I'm trying to be trying to be very cagey here, where the backup operator followed his procedure. They had two parts of the app that had to be shut down in order to do a backup because they couldn't synchronize the the two backup systems. And so every two weeks, they would shut down these apps and and then do a backup offline. Yep. And this person, the backup operator, just did what they were told to do and shut down these apps at the most critical time of the year when the apps were needed. Right. That's not good. The person was just doing their yeah. job. That person should not be fired. That person should be, you know, you change the procedure. You train them. So I don't yeah. know what happened here. Yeah, you train. Yeah. I hope some leniency was there. If the person was fired and I'd love to have them on the love to have them on the podcast. But anyway, what can we learn from this from this news here, Persona? Basically that one is even if you have the greatest technologies in place and the greatest processes in place, people will always exist. (laughs) Never underestimate the power of people to do dumb things. (laughs) I do think that perhaps what's in order here is an update to process. And the process should be when, because you have to be able to reset MFA. When resetting MFA, it should require many more bells and whistles and levels of authentication and we need to identify we need to identify that this person who calls in that says that they're Steve is really we Steve. need a way to identify yeah. that Steve is actually Steve. Yep. Right? So you create a process around that that really verifies that someone who they are and especially, before you reset MFA. Well and especially when it's someone of with that level of privilege. Especially <laughs> super especially yeah. that's not a word but yeah that <laughs> oh Oh, I feel for these guys. Keep abreast of this story because it is going to get worse before it gets better. Yep. And that's the news for this week. So what I thought we would talk about this week in the Backup to basic series is I've got it defined as backup methods that support a traditional restore. So basically the backup methods that I grew up with that are still in use. Relevant. Yeah. In, yeah. Right. Uh, it, it, we, we like to live in a world where everybody's using the latest and greatest, <laughs> right. And nobody, nobody's doing this old full and incremental backups and stuff. Nobody's doing that. Uh, and that's just not true. Right. So we need to talk about these, these methods and see what we can get out there. The first thing 
I just have the again. I'm, I'm we're doing this based on my book, Modern Data Protection. There's the cover for those of you watching via video. All all three listeners that are watching via video. <laughs> I think it's ten. <laughs> There's maybe 10. The number's actually gone up since we've been putting them on YouTube. So oh, there you we'll go. The, I've got this thing in here. So this is from chapter nine and talking about backup and recovery software methods. And the first thing I had in there was, is everything backup? So there was a time when backup was well-defined. Backup was copy something to tape and then <laughs> put the tape in a box, right? It was so simple back then. Yeah, it was so simple back then. Yes. So... I, as quote, Mr. Backup, I see backup a, a, a lot broader than I think a lot of people do. A, a lot of people, when they say backup, they go, oh, this isn't backup. This isn't. To me, backup is anything really that protects the data the way backup protects data, right? And so I'm defining backup rather broadly as anything that is a copy of data stored separately from the original that can be used to restore the original if it is damaged. There's a lot of things that qualify for backup as backup under that definition. So let me just give you some examples and see if you think they right. qualify. Okay. So tape, a copy on tape. Yes. A, a copy backup. in AWS S3. A copy of the data that's in S3, which is separate from the production. You're not. Yeah. Yeah. But yes. Okay. A copy replicated from one storage system to another storage system from the same vendor. As long as there's a there's a caveat here because you use the word replication, I I need the oh. ability. Is it replicated in such a way that if if I okay. damage production, so it, that's okay. not really Sorry. that doesn't Sorry. qualify as being Sorry. stored separately. Replicated with separate retention of the copies on the destination. Okay. Yes, I would call that a back. Okay. Snapshots on a production system on a production storage array. That does not include AWS S3. <laughs> Thank you for, yeah. So snapshots on the same array, uh, no. Okay. End of story, not a backup until it's copied somewhere else. Okay. And then doing what you were recently doing when ed editing the, the podcast, right? Downloading a copy yeah. from the cloud onto your local system, copying it to a different uh -huh. directory, and then copying it to yet a third directory. <laughs> on your local system. Is that local system considered backups, each of those copies? Again, we're storing the data in a separate place that has a separate risk profile, et cetera. Yes. As right? long as the copy, the original copy was in the cloud. It's also about the purpose of why I'm doing it, right? If, yeah. if the purpose of downloading that is to serve as possibly a, back, a, a backup, <laughs> yep. right? Because there's a lot of times that we download data that, is not for backup purposes. Now, it could accidentally become a backup if it's the only copy that you have available, but just because I copy doesn't necessarily make it a backup. It might be an archive. And then the last example, taking pictures on your iPhone and using iCloud to sync your copies to iCloud photos. Not a backup. Because? And why is that? For two reasons, one, which is really the primary, and that is specifically in terms of Apple iCloud. But the biggest thing is that it's synchronized. That's the key. That's what you asked earlier. You delete a picture in your phone or some app delete some like ransomware deletes a bunch of pictures in your phone. It synchronizes that deletion up in the cloud and they go bye-bye. 
right? It is a synchronized copy, not a backup. It is stored separately, but if you delete it here and it gets deleted there, that's not a backup, right? Just like we were talking before. And that's one really important reason, possibly the most important reason. But the other is that there's a feature in iPhone that says we can store low-res copies on the phone and the high-res copies in the cloud, which means that not only is it a synchronized copy, the only true copy of your photo is in the cloud. It's only one copy, which means you need to be backing up iCloud and by extension, also Google Photos if you're an Android person. Yep. So yeah, not a backup. Okay, no, those were Which all we these- had a whole podcast yep. episode about that, yep. how to properly backup your iCloud account. Yep. Yeah. Oh, those were good examples. I think those are a lot of things, like you said, right? It's not always easy to say, is it a backup or not? Unless you dive into the next level of questions and ask, okay, is it really a backup? Yeah. Does it meet these requirements think, or not? I think you did a good job of the different categories. Like that thing of if it's fully synchronized, whether synchronous or asynchronous, if it's fully synchronized and if I delete the production and it deletes the data, the copy, that's, that, not, a that's not a backup, <laughs> right? Unless that copy has the ability to undo that. Yeah. If it does, then I would change my answer, right? And so like a NetApp, a NetApp synchronized filer, yep. I would consider that other copy that would be backup. Uh, other other things that are not a backup, uh, one, one that you didn't mention would be the recycle bin in your Microsoft 365 account. That is not a backup, right? It's not stored separately. It's just records in a database that have been flagged as deleted. They haven't gone anywhere. They're sitting right next to the production data. So yeah. Okay. And then the other one is what about, so in your opinion, does backup require you to always be able to go back to a point in time that could plausibly have existed in the system? And the reason I'm asking this is if I look at, I know email archiving comes up a lot and sometimes people are like, oh, that's the same as backup. But with email archive, you're just getting all the data that's there, whether or not your mailbox actually looked like that, your inbox looked like that or not at any point in time. Yeah. So backup requires restore, right? For it to be a backup, you need to be able to restore it to the way it looked at some point in time, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's a really good question, Persona. It's one thing to say a file, but if you cannot, if you cannot bring the thing that's been damaged back to its, you know, back to before it was damaged, yeah. and that it comes back to the same way as it was before it was damaged, then you don't have a backup. And Your I, copy I, of the yeah. data, right? Yeah. And, and an email archive is a perfect example of that. You have a copy of the data, but it was stored for a different purpose. It was stored for yeah. archive, which means it wasn't designed to be put back into the... The state it was in. It, yeah, the yeah. state that it was in. Right. Just, so you might be able to restore all the email, but you won't be able to restore folders and yeah. things like that. A, a, a good backup should bring the thing back to the way it was before it was damaged, yeah. however it was. Let's go back to a time when tape drives started getting... So here we're going to talk about a feature that is now, for many people, passe. Right? It's not really necessary because they no longer use tape 
is their primary target or their initial target of backups. And that is this concept of multiplexing. And it goes back to, there was a time when we did backups, back we didn't in the need days. multiplexing. <laughs> right, back in the day. So multiplexing, do you want to define multiplexing? Yeah, multiplexing. Yeah. So I, let me attempt to. I know I wasn't aware of this before we started doing the podcast and you explained everything right, about right. tape. And I've, I know we've had a bunch of folks, tape experts on the podcast as well. But multiplexing is to solve an issue where mm-hmm. tape requires you to write at a certain speed. If you don't, it's bad. And tapes got faster and faster. But the problem was pumping data into the tape device itself wasn't going as quickly as the tape speeds were increasing. And so in order to solve that, what they decided to do was say, okay, let's have multiple clients feed data into the tape device at the same time. And we will multiplex or basically write all those streams into the tape drive at the same time, keeping the tape device happy while still being able to do all the backups. How do yeah, I do Another word for it would be inter- interleaving. You did great. Basically putting all, chopping them up into pieces and then putting together into one, turning a bunch of streams into one stream. And when we first started, we used multiplexing settings of four, right? Four different clients. Yeah. Four different clients being combined into a stream to make a tape drive happy, but tape drives got faster and faster. The clients didn't get faster. (laughs) And so by the time I left, by the time I used my last tape drive in production, we were up to 36, right? We were up to 36 streams together to to make an individual tape drive happy. And the reason- I was going to ask why, yeah, why were clients not- Yeah, so so the reason that this was bad is that, why is the only reason we back up? To restore? Right. So when you go to to restore- Yeah. When you go to do a restore, you have to read all 36 streams and throw 35 of them away. (laughs) So your tape drive, the speed of your restore is going to be 135th of what it could potentially be if it hadn't been multiplexed. But if you're never doing restore tests, it doesn't really matter until you actually need to restore the data. Yeah, if you're, you're killing me, you're killing me. Yeah, so it was one of these things where it was a cut your nose off to, to, to spite your face, right? So we felt that it was an evil, but it was a necessary evil. We, you could only restore if you got backups done, and we could only get backups done reliably if we were using multiplexing, but we knew that it was creating this problem and ultimately, this was the undoing of tape from a backup and recovery perspective. We switched to destaging and these other things to undo this necessary evil, but it, it was a mess. But that's what multiplexing is. So if you've heard about multiplexing, you don't need to do multiplexing if you're backing up to disk because disk can write at whatever speed you tell it to write at, and it can write a bunch of things at the same time. Yeah. And you can give it 36 streams and it can write them all at the same time in separate places of the disk in such a way that when you go to do a restore, you don't, you're not, you don't have to read all of them to read one of them. Right. No, no, so no, no, no. what? <laughs> that was my, <laughs> yes, disk <laughs> is fast enough, but 
Yeah. A, well, it's not a disk drive not, has um, a certain number of IOPS it can handle, and therefore, as long as your yes. system is big enough to handle all of them in parallel. Yes, there, disk drives are not unlimited bandwidth, unlimited I/O, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, but the point of the way that it yeah. lays the data, you don't have to lay the. You can lay the data however you want, and then read it however you yeah. want. Right? There are again, there are limits to everything, depending on how much you fragment the data and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Right? But it's still way better than tape from that perspective. All right, next one's a whole lot easier. <laughs> What comes uh, next? What's the first tack- type of what's the you tackle this? What no, I'll let you tackle this, Curtis. So what's the what is it? The first type of backup that everyone should cut their teeth on. What a full backup? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So basically we're just gonna talk about this concept of full and incremental backups. And probably everybody knows this, but th- this is a backup to basic series. So a full backup backs up everything. An incremental backup backs up things that have changed. And the there are different types of incremental backups, right? And different people have different names for these different types, right? Terms you've probably heard, incremental, differential, cumulative incremental. For a lot of people, cumulative incremental and differential are the same thing. For people that got stuck in Windows land, not necessarily. So what's the difference between an incremental and these other two things, a cumulative incremental? So an incremental is basically, typically Sunday you do a full backup, right? Yep. Monday you need to do another backup. Now, you don't want to do necessarily the entire full backup again because maybe right. that's too much data, you don't have enough time, etc. So you'll do an incremental, which is basically... Whatever has changed since the last full, so since Sunday. Sorry, since the last time you did a backup, I should say. Exactly. Whatever's changed since the last time you did a backup. Yeah. Yeah. So in that case, it was Sunday. So then Monday, you get the incrementals. Now, Tuesday, you're going to do backup. And so you do another incremental, which is whatever has changed since Monday. Right. Right. Exactly. And And we just keep doing that. Right. Yeah. Yep. And keep going. And and if it's, yeah, if it's Sunday, right, and now it's Saturday, how many tapes do I need to do a restore? You need the previous Sunday plus the Monday plus the Tuesday plus the Wednesday, Thursday, yeah. Friday. Yeah, basically so, need to replay all. And by of the way, the by the way, I really, I really channeled the old Curtis there. I did without even meaning to. I said tapes, right? Because that <laughs> was know. the problem back then. We literally had to grab for for seven tapes, right? Yep. Nowadays we don't have to grab for seven tapes, but. But you still so, have to do all those restores though, right? So even in the case of yes. if a file existed Sunday <clears throat> and then was deleted Monday and then came back on Tuesday, you would still end up having to do all of those data. Like yeah. basically you're replaying like a log, all the data that would have existed on each of those days. Right. The real problem is a file that was changed every single day. Yeah. <laughs> you would actually restore that file seven times. Yeah. It's a lot of wasted effort. That's just the, the idea of a increment or regular incremental. Then we have a differential or a cumulative incremental. And the difference between that is that it's going to, it's going to do the thing that you said earlier, yeah. which is it's going to back up everything that's changed since the full. Yep. And so what some people do is that they've stopped, they stop doing incrementals and they switch to differentials or cumulative incrementals every day. And that way, at the end of the week, I would need at most two tapes, yeah. right? 
Now, this whole thing has pretty much gone away in the world of disk-based backups, right? Because the whole reason that we did backups this way is that, first off, let me back up. We used to do weekly fulls followed by daily incrementals. Then we switched for, because when we went to automated tape libraries, the whole process of managing the different tapes wasn't as big big of a Mm -hmm. deal. So we went to monthly fulls followed by daily incrementals or maybe a weekly cumulative yep. and right. So you'd still need a maximum of seven tapes to do a restore. But when we switched to disk, this whole thing just became <laughs> kind of silly and moot and whatever. Yep. And you could back up however you wanted to back up and dedupe, which we're going to talk about in a minute, dedupe really changed the game. And because it didn't matter whether you backed up full or incremental or whatever, you still stored the same amount of data. Go ahead. Before we jump, though, one thing that I think people might also hear in addition to fulls, incrementals, differentials, and cumulative incrementals is also levels. So maybe you could talk about levels. I know sometimes it's specific to like Oracle and some databases, but maybe it might be useful. That's a good point. Yeah. Thanks. So... The concept of a backup level, literally, this goes back to the days of dump, right? Which was the command to backup Unix file systems. A level zero was a full, a level one. And if you wanted to do increment, if you wanted to do what we called incremental backups, the way we, you would do a zero followed by a one, followed by a two, followed by a three, followed by a four. And it got interesting because if you then lowered the number, it would behave cumulative. like a cumulative incremental, right? Yeah. So like you could do a zero and then you do a one. If you then did another one, if you kept doing ones, you would get a differential. You would get yeah. a, a cumulative incremental every day. If you did a zero, a one, and then a two, and then a one again, yeah. it's just, it basically it always pointed back to the number that was, the, the most recent number that was lower than itself. Yeah. And so it got complicated. And so there were actually some people that Isn't they, they did this thing Tower called of- Towers of Hanoi. Yeah, that's what I was yeah, thinking about. Yeah. Which is based on the game. Yep. And I've got it in the book, the Towers of Hanoi progressive thing, but I can't. It's like zero, three, two, <laughs> four. So basically every backup without doing cumulative incrementals, every backup, every file that was changed would end up being on two tapes. Yeah. Which was just an interesting way to to minimize tape. Again, this is all because we're doing tapes, but nobody <laughs> has tapes anymore, so nobody cares. <laughs> but that's what levels were. It was all the way up to nine. Yeah. And they still have this concept in, in things like Oracle Backup. Yep. Right? So the next thing to talk about is this concept called file level incremental forever. And the company that really put this out there was IBM with their product TSM. And back in the day, it's and, been and basically renamed, right? is you do one full, what's that? Hasn't it been renamed? It has, okay. but I'm just saying they came yeah. out with it. When they came out, it was called TSM. It's now like IBM Spectrum Protect. Okay. But the idea was you do one full and then everything is an incremental forever. We never again do a full. And this really saved a lot of bandwidth and saved a lot of tape. It came with a mess. And that was over time. And again, tape over time, you could end up needing hundreds of tapes 
to restore a single file system. You would need just one file from this tape and one file from that tape. And since the hardest part of a tape is like, it was like two and a half minutes just to get a tape in and get it loaded and seek to the, to the average point in a tape. So I was not a fan of doing backups this way when we were talking about tape. Was there a Um, reason? What was the use case at the time for that? It was about saving tape, saving storage. It was about saving bandwidth. The idea, there's nothing wrong with the idea of incremental forever. It's just that their implementation back in the day when it was all tape, even when they had disk staging, so they would stage the disk. So they wouldn't multiplex, by the way. They wouldn't multiplex. They would stage the disk, and then they would do the, the backups to tape. And this only applied to file system backups. It didn't apply to database backups. Yeah. And but literally, you would need hundreds and hundreds of tapes to restore a single file system. And it just—I was never a fan of doing backups that way, as long as we were backing up to tape. Yeah. And they—they they had ways to. They had co-location and these these various and this thing called reclamation because when you're doing backups that way, you end up with a lot of tapes that have dead files on them that have expired that are no longer needed, but you have other files on there that, that are needed. So and so forward. you'd have to copy forward. Yeah. So that you could reclaim that whole tape and then reuse it. And that sounds like a so management just, nightmare, I, an interesting I, it, engineering well, problem, but <laughs> yeah, I was never a fan of doing backups that way. And I'm even less of a fan now that we don't have to worry about tape. Now we can just do incremental forever and just do it without all that co-location yeah. and reclamation stuff. Because on disk, rec- to reclaim, you just delete a file, yeah. right? On tape, you, you delete a file in the middle of a tape. You have to reclaim the tape. Yeah. So that's file level incremental forever. And then with the advent of backing up to disk, which finally happened, I don't know, 20 years ago. <laughs> it's so funny. We, we say the advent of something that happened 20 years ago. When we finally started doing it, and once everybody finally went to, and by the way, everybody still is not backing up the disk. It's yep. still, there's still a small contingent of people to back up the tape. So those people will really enjoy the first half of this episode. <laughs> now we have this concept of block level incremental forever. Would you like to explain that? Yeah. So with the block level incremental, I guess. Where I think of block-level incremental, I know there's various places you can think about it, is when it applies to virtual machines and other sort of larger objects, where it doesn't make sense to back up an entire VM doing full or incremental backups the way if you think about how you would have done file-level backups, right? Why would I want to back? Why would that be? Because I have a file which represents a disk. The entire file doesn't change every time. Right. Parts right. of the file change. Like it's, right. So we're talking about a VMDK file yeah. or VDK for, uh, for Hyper-V. VDDK. I can't say VDDK. I think it's yeah. VDDK. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. So so you're saying if anything changes on there, you're the backing file up the changes. Entire whole if you do file. an incremental. Yep. Exactly. Because it's the entire file, file exactly. change, right? So you're backing up the entire thing. But that doesn't make sense when you have files which are, say, 10, 50, 100, 200 gigabytes, and you're backing right. that up every right. single time. And so with block-level incrementals, what they basically have done is say, okay, what blocks have changed in this mm-hmm. VMDK? Let me just back those up. 
right? Oracle also for databases, they do something similar, right? Where it's, hey, let me only back up the blocks within an Oracle data file that have changed rather than backing up the entire Oracle database. And how does the backup product know which blocks have changed? Uh, Usually you have to rely on that vendor to tell you. So in the case of Oracle, right, you're usually integrating with Oracle RMAN via SBT or some other mechanism where Oracle knows, okay, I keep track of the database blocks. I know which ones are new. Here is a list of blocks that you need to care about. Same thing with VMware when you have their, uh, what is their SDK called? VADP. uh, Yeah. Now it's changed the the name. name. Yes. Yeah, they've changed the name, but basically they're, they have an API yep. to talk to and they maintain a bitmap, yep. right? And then they just give you, here's a map of the bits that you need to, to go get. These are the bits that have changed. Yep. They maintain that. And then the there's an API for asking for those blocks. Yeah. Now, this is great for disk-based systems because if you think about it, these are all random spots in a file. And so you right. can dump it out now. It's up to figure out like how you want to do this. And I know we'll talk a little bit later about deduplicated storage. But in the case of Oracle, typically you would just dump it out as incremental blocks and just dump it into a file. Yep. And now you have all those blocks captured together. In the case of VMware, they started doing that. A lot of backup vendors, vendors would just dump it out as raw blocks, which makes sense. But then... There are other optimizations you can do to do smarter things with it. Because with incremental block-based backups, you still have to restore from multiple files in order to stitch together the final actual image. Yeah, and you still have that problem that we talked about earlier where you may restore an individual block multiple times if it changes multiple times, right? The the advantage is it's incredibly efficient. And the like when we talk about backing up VMs, I, I agree with you. That's where this really shines. Yeah. Because back in the day, if we backed up VMs and we just pretended they were physical <laughs> machines yeah. and we were running full and incremental backups on them, we were beating the crap out of these <laughs> VMs. So this is much more IO friendly yeah. to the VMs, right? So it's much friendlier on the VMs. That's why we want to talk to the VMware API and get just the blocks that have changed. And it doesn't really come with any major downside compared to the alternatives because we're storing the data on disk. Can I ask one question for you? So we've talked about using block level incrementals for VMware, for databases. Is there a reason it hasn't really caught on for files? Because if I take a file and kind of split it up into blocks, right? Mm-hmm. Could I get the same benefit or is there a reason that it makes a lot more sense for like VMs and, or virtual machines? And The benefit will be relative to the size of the file, right? The bigger the file, the bigger the benefit that you're going to get. And I would say that the reason it hasn't caught on is because of the next thing we're going to discuss, right? That solved that problem. But yeah, the, I think about like files like PST files mm-hmm. or maybe a big access database or backing up like MySQL. That's not file. I mean, it is a yeah. file, but it's it's actually a database, right? Yeah. I'd say the reason they didn't 
put a lot of effort is this concept of source side deduplication, which why don't we just talk about that now? I, I know we've covered dedupe just really quickly for those that don't understand what dedupe is. The idea is that we're going to identify duplicate segments of the data. And, and duplicate means that a, we've seen this data before. Mm-hmm. We've done a full backup or we've done an, an incremental backup and we've seen this part of the data before. And for it to be truly considered dedupe, you've got to look at, it's got to be sub-file, right? It's yeah. got to be part of, like we were talking about the VMDK or the VDDK or a PST file. We've got to be looking inside the file, slicing that up into chunks and then deciding this chunk, we've seen it before, this chunk we have not. Yep. And so there are two different places that dedupe happens. One is at the target, which is like a, a box like a data domain or a quantum box or exagrid. These boxes are, are target dedupe. And then there's this thing called source dedupe, which really took off from a company that was called Avamar. That company got sold to EMC, which I know you spent a little time with back in the day. And both of our previous employer did a, a source side deduplication. Yeah. So with the target side is great because you could take it and plug it in and place it anywhere, right? Because as long as it supports whatever the protocol your client is using, right, you could just ingest the data and you get all the benefits of deduplication. So data yeah. domain was very popular initially for in virtual tape libraries. Right. So you had tapes, right? People are constantly doing fulls and incremental backups. That's perfect to deduplicate. You plug in a data domain, it emulates the yeah. tape interface. And now you just, your clients still continue writing to there. And then all your data gets deduplicated. Right. And so it doesn't matter yeah. if it's NFS or if it's SMB or if it's tape, right? It just works. Yeah, it's like that firewall box that I bought, yeah. right? It just, it just, it goes in and then it just works, right? Yeah. You didn't have to change anything. With source dedupe, the, the idea is that there's three parts of, it, of the deduplication process. There's the slicing and dicing, right? There's the creation of a hash. You run the chunk of data through some sort of cryptographic algorithm like SHA something. And then that gives you a, a value. Fingerprint. And then that value, yep. you have to look up that value in some sort of hash table, right? Yep. With target deduplication, all three of those actions happen on the target, which is why it works so well. You just send the backups the way you're used to sending them, and then it does the magic. It slices and dices, it hashes, and it does the lookup, and it figures out which chunks of data are new based on that hash. Source side, the first two happen on the source, right? We slice up the data before we back it up. We slice up the data, we create a hash of the data, and then we ask some magic person in the cloud, has this hash been seen before? And the decision is made on the other end. Yes, we've seen this or we haven't seen this. And then we send or don't send the, the, the data. To me, source dedupe is much more efficient than target dedupe. The difficulty is that it is a much, it's a little bit baby in a bathwater situation, right? Because in order to get it, you've got to do a forklift upgrade. You've got to stop using let's say, again, this is, things have changed, but back in the day, you had to stop using that backup and start using Avamar, right? Yeah. Stop using Network or, or TSM and switch to Druva, right? You had to change your backup product to get this done. 
things change a little bit over time, right? A lot of these products now support source dedupe. Yep. But that was the main downside, or still is the main downside. If you want source dedupe, you've got to change your backup product. And I would uh, say, or you've got to change how you use your backup product, yeah. assuming it starts supporting it. Yeah. And I would say at this point, probably a good chunk of products either have their own source ID duplication mechanism, or they work with deduplicated targets, which allow for source ID dedupe. For instance, yeah, integrating yeah. with Exagrid or data domain from like TSM, Veeam, Networker. Exactly. Yeah. Th- there are some that criticize it saying that the slicing and dicing and the creation of the hash puts a load on the client. I have always argued that if done properly, that load created by the slicing and dicing and hashing is offset by the significant reduction of the load of transporting or not transporting 99% of the data yeah, that you're right? just going to toss. Yeah. Other critiques of it have been that the restore speed wasn't great because of how the data was stored on the other end. And I would argue that's a implementation problem. Yeah. It's not a problem with the concept. It's a problem with the implementation yeah. of the concept. And then the other thing to also mention about source ID duplication is typically these are also using proprietary protocols. So you don't end up with a lot of security issues you have around, say, having a target dedupe appliance with NFS or SMB open to the world. <laughs> yep. Yep. Agreed. Yes. Ag- agreed. That it does, There is a security advantage to having the data sliced and diced way before and then encrypted before you send it to the the other system instead of doing it over an unsecured protocol like an or SMB. Exactly. All right. This episode, I think, got a little longer than we had intended for it to get. Just a touch. But I, we, covered a, we covered a lot. Yeah. We covered a lot in this episode. So basically, we learned about what is and is not a backup. We learned about multiplexing, full and incremental backups, file-level incremental backups, and source-side deduplication. Uh, it's a big episode. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, no, that covers a lot of what everyone talks about when you you ever refer to backup and restore. You got to know these exactly, backup technologies exactly. in order to be able to restore and protect your company. These are things that you need to know. Yeah. All right. And with that, I once again want to thank our listeners. You are why we do this in Persona. Once again, great at your insights and questions as well. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Keeping me honest. And remember this show, the Backup Wrap-Up is an independent podcast and the opinions that you hear are ours, not anyone else's. And also this is a production of BackupCentral.com and uh, produced and edited by yours truly. And I just want to say that's a wrap. Good.